Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today we're talking energy and industrials. It's Thursday, the 31st of May, and we're going to be talking about General Electric stock. I'm your host, Sarah Priestley, and joining me on Skype is Adam Levine Weinberg. Adam, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Um, excellent. Um, I'm enjoying the lack of spring in, in DC. It's gone straight to summer here, so uh, it's it's a little rough. But what about you? Uh, similar weather out here. We uh, we went from 65 to 95 in about two days. Oh wow! So it was not quite expected. Yeah. Well, back home, I think some people have had flooding, so I should count myself lucky. Um, but yeah, so today we want to talk about GE. Uh, GE shareholders been in for a very rough ride this past 12 months. Uh, stock's down 19% so far this year. Decline really began in early 2017. The company failed to deliver on former CEO Jeff Inlot's promises. His $2 earnings per share goal for 2018 now seems um, like a joke. GE Power, the company's largest business unit, has, some, uh, has been seriously struggling and there's kind of a myriad of previous management missteps and mistakes that are coming to the fore and a lot of shocking revelations, none more so than the $6.2 billion charge related to its reinsurance business that they um, noted in the fourth quarter. So now a year into the role, almost, new CEO John Flannery has laid out a slow and steady turnaround centered on returning the company essentially to financial health. And he's made some really bold and difficult decisions uh, within that process. He's replaced almost half of the management team, adopted new accounting roles, and cut G's vaunted dividend in half, um, much to investors' chagrin. Um, the shakeup by the new CEO extends to all areas of the business. And there's just one quote that I want to give that from his uh, investor presentation in October. He said, The review of the company has been and continues to be exhaustive. We are evaluating our businesses, processes, culture how decisions are made, how we think about goals and accountability, how we incentivize people, how we prioritize investments. We've also reviewed our operating process, our team capital allocation, and how we communicate to investors. He says everything is on the table. Things will not stay the same at GE. And he's definitely proved that that's true. So fill us in on some context here, Adam. What's the big picture at GE? Sure. So GE for many years was considered... um a role model for the American economy and for other companies. Uh, it was one of the biggest industrial conglomerates in the U.S. Uh, and particularly under uh, Jack Welch, its long-serving CEO in the 80s and 90s, uh, it was able to generate very substantial earnings growth and was very reliable in terms of beating its earnings targets. Um, the problem was that uh, to some extent, GE's success was a mirage, and it was based on uh, nothing illegal, but a very aggressive accounting, <laughs> and then some also ill-chosen acquisitions. They got into areas that were profitable for a while, uh, and all of that, unfortunately, has collapsed in a very short time and come back to haunt GE. So in 2017, you saw a, a, a gap loss of $0.60 cents per share for the company for the full year, and um, their adjusted earnings were also a loss of $0.45 cents a share. Uh, a lot of that came from this charge that you mentioned, um, more than $6 billion for its long-term care insurance subsidiary. This is one of those areas that seemed really profitable uh, a couple of decades ago to sell long-term care insurance to people who are worried about their um, health care needs for retirement. Um, unfortunately, health care costs have gone up far more than anybody expected at the time. And so these policies are extremely turned out to be extremely unprofitable. So. GE booked lots of profits in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s on these policies, and now it's come back to haunt them. 
um, causing that big charge. You also saw the big downturn in the power market that Sarah mentioned, um, you know, 45% drop in segment profit for power. And since that's um, the largest segment in terms of revenue, that clearly hurt the bottom line uh, quite a bit last year. The only segments that were still posting earnings growth in 2017 were aviation, healthcare, and renewable energy. In addition to the accounting uh, losses that GE reported, it also saw a, a big decline in its cash flow. Uh, and as a result, that, that forced GE to cut the dividend, as you mentioned. So with, um, with John Flannery in, in position, and he also has a new CFO in place, uh, Jamie Miller, they presented a, a turnaround plan to investors at an Investor Day conference last November. Um, part of that plan involves divesting $20 billion of assets by 2019. Uh, and GE is also planning to exit the oil and gas uh, market because it sees that business as being too um, too dependent on commodity prices. So when oil prices are up, they make money. When oil prices go down, um, the business doesn't do well regardless of um, how well it's managed. And they, they want businesses that they can manage um, to drive sustainable earnings growth. And so as a result, you're going to see a future GE that's focused on three key markets, power, aviation, and healthcare. You touched on a great point about the long-term care policies. I think this is something that really uh, spanned the whole of ML's tenure is that he would um, invest in kind of the hot thing at the time. You know, he made a lot of oil and gas acquisitions when oil and gas was at its peak. And he, he invested kind of at the pro-cycle points on a lot of businesses. And um, now you're sort of seeing the the result of that. And uh, another example would be their buybacks. They tended to buy back very high under ML. Um, and yes, that's absolutely true. And the other thing that um, we could talk about is the um, in the power business, that got a lot bigger because uh, Emma went out and bought uh, a lot of the assets of Alstom, which was a French company, um, also at the top of the market. And that was really dependent on uh, nuclear and gas. And all of that uh, business has come down in a huge way because renewable energy is getting so much cheaper and more desirable. I think that was a $10.6 billion acquisition. I think that was the largest industrial acquisition that GE made. And as you've said, it's it's not been profitable for them at all. Um, so. There is so much negative sentiment around this company at the minute. Um, you know, I, if you type in GE stock into Google, the first five articles you're going to see are probably why you should sell GE. Um, but what can you summarize kind of the, the bear case for GE right now? Yeah, so there's basically five key things that GE bears have pointed out. Um, the first is the long-term struggles in the power unit. And the second is hidden liabilities at GE Capital. Um, like that long-term care insurance subsidiary that caused the charge last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, The third is weak cash flow, especially in the near term. The fourth is weak balance sheet. And then the the fifth one is that GE is just too complicated to manage. Um, So to start with GE Power, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, that business is heavily focused on gas turbines for power plants. And as the cost of renewable energy and energy storage has come down, that significantly reduced demand because these natural gas plants, they're often used as peakers um, to supply extra power when uh, the grid needs a little more juice, you know, particularly in the evening. Um, if you have cheaper energy storage, then you can produce power at a more steady rate and you don't need to pay for a whole extra power plant that only gets used a few hours a day. On top of this um, demand issue, GE was also very slow to cut costs. Um, 
that probably spoke to some organizational problems where people were being over-optimistic about how fast demand would bounce back. Um, so it took a while for GE to realize, no, this downturn is for real and it's not going to um, recover uh, until at least 2020. That's the, the company's current outlook. The second issue is that in GE Capital, you moved into all these areas um, like issuing subprime mortgages and long-term care insurance and a variety of other things that aren't actually related to GE's core industrial business. And those may have been profitable for a short period, but um, just as the long-term care insurance subsidiary came back to haunt GE um, a few months ago, now GE is preparing for uh, potentially a big liability related to its mortgage activities um, because like many other subprime lenders, uh, it's not potentially on the hook for penalties related to mortgage fraud um, from selling um, you know, selling these mortgages to investors um, without full disclosure. Mm -hmm. So nobody really knows what else might turn up. That's, those are just the two things um, that people really know about. And this became such a complicated um, financial subsidiary that uh, investors are certainly worried about whether there's you know, other rocks that they haven't looked under yet. And you know, in a year or two, they'll find another $5 billion liability. Yeah, I hope not. As an investor, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. So the, the third thing is is cash flow. So um, the problems at Power and, and GE Capital are putting significant pressure on GE's cash flow. Um, GE Capital in particular had been paying huge dividends to the parent company, um, so the General Electric um, corporate subsidiary, for several years as it was selling off assets. Um, now it's decided that it can't pay any dividends because uh, of this big charge it had to take and it needs to recapitalize. So that's um, right off the bat, you know, two, three, four billion dollar headwind. Um, GE is also looking to spin off or sell various assets. And as it sells assets, um, many of those assets are producing cash flow. And so getting rid of them will reduce cash flow going forward. And as a result, there are quite a few analysts out there who are at least worried that GE may have to cut its dividend again, even after having reduced it by 50% uh, just six months ago. Um, part of the reason why analysts are worried about uh, cash flow is that the balance sheet is also pretty weak. GE had uh, almost $126 billion of debt at the end of last quarter. Um, it also had a fair amount of cash, but the net debt was still quite substantial. And on top of that, the pension was underfunded by uh, nearly $29 billion at the beginning of this year. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of the, the high level, the last one is just that all of these problems may indicate a broader problem of GE being too complicated to manage. Mm -hmm. uh, the you know, management team just hasn't been able to keep up um, to keep the company performing at a high level. Absolutely. And I would kind of, uh, I think you're seeing a pattern of these conglomerates sort of concentrating on the most profitable segments that they have. And, and it's not a bad business plan. I, I don't know that we're going to see any of these huge uh, multi-segment corporations going forward for a while. Um, and you, you mentioned cash flow and it's just, it's it seems uh, so obvious that the company has just been spending too much money. 2015 through to 2017, they generated 30 billion from cash flow and asset sales, but they spent 75 billion on stock buybacks and dividends and acquisitions. Yeah. And it's just it's obvious that that's uh, untenable. Um, but I would I count myself in the very lonely camp of being uh, optimistic about GE's prospects. Um, I, I hope that people at home aren't thinking that I'm crazy, but I think that the the concentration on the three segments that are 
currently working for them with, with healthcare, aviation um, is absolutely, especially aviation actually is especially is uh, the, the right thing to do. Yeah, so I would agree that the um, healthcare and aviation markets at least seem quite healthy and um, under probably undervalued by investors right now. Mm -hmm. So healthcare, for one thing, is a secular growth industry uh, just in terms of the aging of the global population. Um, the amount of health spending has been increasing at a very high rate, and there's no reason to think that's going to stop anytime soon. So GE Healthcare um, produced a segment profit of $3.5 billion last year, uh, and it's been growing at a mid-single-digit rate, and there's really no reason to think it, it can't keep growing at, at that rate. It's not extremely fast growth, but it's it's definitely respectable. Mm -hmm. um, it could keep doing that for a decade or more. I uh, read a stat the other day that said that between over the next 10 years, every day there will be 10,000 more baby boomers turning 65. And as we know, healthcare costs go up as you get older. So it definitely looks like they're going to be riding this secular uh, tailwind. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Turning to the aviation business, uh, that's arguably an even stronger business. Um, GE is the largest jet engine manufacturer if you include uh, its 50% owned joint venture uh, CFM. And air travel is growing extremely rapidly as the global middle class expands. Uh, in recent years, you've seen uh, mid to high single digit growth in terms of passenger travel. Uh, and that's a lot of that is coming in emerging markets, which uh, have really quite a bit of runway left, pardon the pun, <laughs> for passenger travel growth. So in 2017, aviation revenue was more than $27 billion, which put it roughly on par with the uh, power segment. And aviation um, generated a segment profit of $5.4 billion uh, adjusted for the new accounting rules that went into effect this year. And GE recently disclosed that it expects segment profit to rise at least 15% in 2018 off of that $5.4 billion base. Um, so that's um, going to be past $6 billion just in uh, 2018. And there's quite a bit of room for growth um, ahead because GE Aviation gets uh, the majority of its revenue, about $20 billion from the commercial market. And it has a backlog there of $160 billion. And so that means that the aviation business has many years of growth virtually locked in because these orders, um, in some cases, they can be uh, modified, but for the most part, they can't be canceled uh, unless the, the entire company goes bankrupt. And so this growth is being driven primarily by the Boeing 737 MAX and Airbus's A320neo family. Uh, together, those two aircraft families have more than 10,000 outstanding orders. Uh, there's a huge amount of demand, even if uh, one airline decides that they don't want planes that they've ordered, there are dozens of other airlines eager to step in. Uh, and so GE has a really good position here um, with about three quarters um, of the engine market for those two models combined. Uh, Furthermore, that those are both new aircraft families, the 737 MAX and AF-20neo that have come out um, within the past three years or so. And the new engines uh, have very high costs to build initially, which has put some pressure on GE's cash flow um, and under the new uh, accounting rules also on its earnings. However, over time, those costs will come down substantially. Um, I'm projecting that the cost to build one of these engines could drop by half over the next decade. Mm -hmm. And so that's the driving force behind margin expansion for the GE aviation segment. 
And between the revenue growth opportunities and the margin expansion opportunities, segment profit could double by the mid-2020s for GE Aviation, um, putting it well above $10 billion. And so focusing on these two healthy businesses, aviation and healthcare, um, along with power, which obviously still needs to be turned around, and then a very slimmed down GE Capital, that really ought to make GE easier to manage Absolutely. and get around that problem where management's being pulled in five directions at once and therefore nothing's getting fixed mm-hmm. um, at the rate that it needs to be. And what about the concerns over the pension burden? So obviously on its face, $29 billion pension liability is, is pretty bad and it's the largest of any company in the US. Wow. However, um, a lot of that's been driven by interest rates, um, which have been very low for many years right now. Uh, and the way that these pensions get measured, the lower interest rates go, the greater that liability seems. So in its recent annual report, GE said that a 25 basis point rise in the discount rate, so that's um, increase in interest rates by a quarter of a percent, would reduce its pension obligation by $2.4 billion. That means that if interest rates were to rise by a full 1%, that would be almost $10 billion knocked off of the pension, taking it down to less than $20 billion. And interest rates have already risen by uh, about half that amount, so um, roughly half of 1%, just um, since the beginning of 2018. So you could definitely imagine that um, by the end of 2019, or certainly sometime in 2020, you've got a full one percentage point increase in interest rates. Um, And so that really reduces the, the pension liability um, to under $20 billion. And then GE has also announced that it's going to contribute $6 billion to its pension plan this year. So when you add that in, uh, now you're looking at less than $15 billion, which is still high, um, but it doesn't seem nearly as unmanageable as the $29 billion number that people are looking at today. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that $6 billion does add to GE's debt load, um, but on the other side of the coin, GE is starting to sell off assets, and those asset sales will bring in uh, cash that can help GE reduce its debt over the next few years. We've seen the uh, asset sale news uh, asset sale news in the media recently, and I think that one thing that GE will need to do in order to overcome a lot of their current issues is to actually get get out of the regular financial media. Um, but what are the headlines that we're seeing around GE transportation? What does that mean for the company? So the most recent deal that GE announced was uh, a divestiture of its transportation division, which uh, mainly builds freight locomotives. Uh, It's a very profitable division historically and generates lots of cash flow, but it's still pretty small relative to GE today. And it's also in the midst of a cyclical downturn, which has been a problem uh, in the past year or so. So under the terms of this deal, GE is going to um, sell about $2.9 billion of its assets to Wabtec, um, which is uh, Westinghouse uh, spinoff, for $2.9 billion um, in cash. And then the rest of GE transportation will merge with Wabtec. And so at the end of these maneuvers, the Wabtec shareholders will end up with 49.9% of the combined company. GE shareholders will have 40.2%. And then GE itself will own 9.9% of the new Wabtec. And then GE is required to sell that 9.9% stake within three years. And so ultimately, that will convert into cash. And um, depending on how Wabtec shares trade over the next couple of years, 
that will probably be around $2 billion uh, of additional asset sale proceeds. So the 50.1% that GE and its shareholders will own at the beginning of this deal is currently valued at more than $9 billion based on Wabtec's recent share price. Um, and so including the cash component, the total deal value is actually more than $12 billion, which was quite a bit higher than what most analysts had been expecting. And that's mainly because GE was taking a patient approach rather than trying to uh, sell the entire business for cash to the highest bidder. It was willing to uh, take this half sale, half merger deal with Wabtec that means it won't cash out as quickly, um, but it maximizes the amount of value that GE shareholders are going to get. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also going to minimize taxes for GE um, and for GE shareholders, which is obviously important too. Yeah, they own that business for maybe a hundred years, was it? So tax yeah, more than a century. Yeah, tax implications presumably would be pretty high. But I think this is a, such a smart move by Flannery because he's being forced to, he's being strong armed essentially into selling a lot of these assets while they're in a downturn. Um, so this is sort of a way that he can gain that system and get some liquidity out of them right now while also shoring up some future returns also. Yes. Um, the only Just to run through some of the other uh, deals that GE has announced recently, um, it's planning to sell its industrial solutions unit to ABB. Um, that's supposed to close within the next month or two um, and bring in $2.6 billion uh, of proceeds. It sold off its healthcare IT unit to a private equity firm for a little over $1 billion. That deal is supposed to close next quarter. Uh, it's marketing its distributed power operations, um, which includes the Genbacher and Waukesha brands. Um, analysts have estimated that that could be worth $3 billion or more. GE uh, lighting division is also for sale. Um, obviously, lighting's become commoditized, so that's not going to bring in a lot of money. Um, but again, it will help with um, making the company more focused on its main operating divisions. And then the last uh, and biggest one is that GE eventually plans to divest in 62.5% in Baker Hughes, which um, it acquired the stake just a couple of years ago, uh, not even two years ago. Um, and that's currently worth about $25 billion because of the recent surge in, the, uh, in oil prices across the globe. But again, this is part of the GE strategy that it doesn't want to be in these commodity businesses where um, changes in oil prices are going to uh, dictate profits. And so, you know, assuming that oil prices stay high for the next couple of years, this actually could be a pretty good time to get out of that business uh, while people are willing to pay more for it. I feel like we could do a whole show just on the uh, Baker Hughes GE situation. We probably could. Yeah. Um, so the bottom line here is that there's a lot of cash still to come. Is that yes. right? And uh, that's going to pay down uh, quite a bit of, of the debt. Um, GE certainly still uh, has work to do to clean up its balance sheet. Uh, but right now, it's generating more cash flow than it's paying out in the dividend. Um, it's about uh, you know seventy percent is getting paid out as a dividend, and as that aviation unit in particular uh, grows over the next few years, that should be able to offset the lost cash flow from businesses that are being sold off. Um, and so, between the asset sale proceeds, additional cash flow from aviation, um, hopefully some help from interest rates in terms of the pension obligation. It looks like GE has a good chance to um, get its balance sheet to a more healthy state by um, 2020. Mm -hmm. 
And right now, I feel like it's a company that's very fashionable to be bearish about. And um, situations like this, I always feel I, I, I think that Flannery has a very good slow and steady wins the race approach. Um, and if he can have the breathing room to enact his turnaround plan, and as you said, a lot of other things go in his favour, then uh, the situation might not be as dire as it's being presented. I completely agree. Uh, is there anything that uh, we've missed that you'd like to add? I would just note that um, these changes in market sentiment can come about pretty quickly. Um, if you go back really only about two, two and a half years, people were very similarly bearish about Boeing stock. Um, Boeing also had very high pension liabilities. Um, it also had some product lines that weren't doing very well. Sales were low. It was cutting costs, but it never seemed to be quite enough. Um, it had um, accounting policies that people thought were too aggressive. And yet, a couple of years later, Boeing stock has more than doubled. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just took um, a couple of years of solid execution to change the market's mind. And so that doesn't mean that GE stock is necessarily going to double in the next two years. But it, it does show that um, a lot of this just depends on the way that people interpret the data in front of them. And so a relatively small change in GE's actual trajectory could completely change the way that people think about and value GE stock. Mm-hmm. A lesson for a lot of uh, different stocks, I think, or investing lesson generally. Um, thank you so much, Adam, for joining me today. Um, that's it for us. If you would like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at industryfocus at four.com or tweet us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thank you to Austin Morgan for producing the show. For Adam, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening and fool on. Mm-hmm.